HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, Heritage Radio Network podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. This is our final show of 2023, the Holiday Wine and Champagne Show. We'll talk to three of the best people in the business. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. As the year winds down and we celebrate the holiday season, we want to make sure you are drinking and gifting the right wines and champagnes. We ask three of our expert friends to guide us through the myriad of wine and bubbly choices out there. We'll be talking to Jonal Falner, Katja Sharnagel, and Aldo Som. So get your pen and paper out for some great recommendations, and I'd like to thank them for taking a few minutes out of their busy schedule to help us. I'm with Jonelle Fallon, our beverage director at Naun Hospitality. We are at Naru and Rockefeller Center. Jonelle is an award-winning sommelier and oversees the beverage programs at Adamix, Naru, Attaboy. Adamix is a Michelin two-star restaurant, number eight on the list of the world's 50 best restaurants, and three stars from the New York Times, along with Narrow's New York Times three-star review. Um, as I mentioned, Jonel is one of the nicest people I know in the business, and he is certainly one of the smartest. All right, Jonel, I have you here. I made you do this, so you must respond to my questions. So I need your help. And I need you to help my listeners select their holiday wines and champagnes for the new year. Um, 
I think you're qualified for this because you've been brilliantly pairing wine and champagne with multiple courses of diverse foods with your Adamix tasting menu. So this should be easy. And as we mentioned more than once, <laughs> Adamix is a multi-course restaurant. And on a given night, you're serving how many courses? It's about 11 different bites. Okay. And on a lower to higher range of how many wines somebody could drink through that coursing, how many wines? Is it three, four, five wines? We usually serve for our pairings about seven to eight different wines. Seven or eight. Okay. So this is a piece of cake for you. All right. So... These questions should come pretty easily to you. I think you're pretty well prepared to answer these. You probably had some thoughts about these, all right? So I'm going to throw some holidays at you. Talk to me about wines to pair with these foods, okay? Because we know food is a big part of the holidays, and we're wine guys, so we want to make sure people drink wine and drink the right wine. So let's start with Hanukkah. We're actually in the middle of Hanukkah. Give me your best pairings for latkes, and then what do you think for brisket? Oh, that's a great question. I think for latkes, especially with that uh, fried flavor, I think uh, maybe a crisp Blanc de Blanc from Jacques Lassagne, I think would be great. It's lean, savory, cut, and I think should uh, just work well with those flavors quite easily. And for brisket, all of a sudden I'm thinking of something with a little bit more heft and power. So maybe Paul Barra, Special Club Rosé. Um, from a particular vintage, let's say 2012, should be an amazing Is it available? Wine. I sure hope so. Okay. The 2015 should be. I think okay. uh, something a little bit more current. You won't go wrong if you find the 15 or the 12 is out there. Certainly. You won't go wrong with Paul Barra, period. So okay. I think, uh, I think it's go. a good thing. But with the flavors of the brisket, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd drink that for sure. All right. So for the lock, as you said, a Blanc de Blanc, which is tell people what that is, a Blanc. Yeah, it's generally a Chardonnay-based um, wine. Uh, so it's clean. It's crisp. It definitely has a certain precision to it that I, I love. All right, let's move to Christmas. A couple of things I want to focus on. Feast of the Seven Fishes, the night before Christmas Eve. And then the next day, people are putting out a lot of spiral hams, turkeys, pies. So what are you thinking about those things? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think it must be a Magnum. It has to be a larger okay. format bottle. Whenever I think of the holidays, it's usually with a bigger group of people. So I think in particular for the Feast of the Seven Fishes, I want to say a magnum of Riesling. It's always fun, festive, and perhaps something from Cornelius Donhoff um, coming from Germany. Great maker. Great winemaker, great wines. And I think it's, a, it's an amazing thing to have. Or perhaps a magnum from Brooklyn Wolf from the Faults would also be amazing. Still Riesling, dry, but with a lot of complexity to go along with those different flavors. Question on the Riesling. You know, we know sommeliers love Riesling more than any other category of people. We know there's a lot of Riesling lovers out there, but there's that many more people that don't know Riesling or think it's a sweet wine. That's right. The Rieslings you're talking about are specifically categorized as what and what's their profile? Yeah, I'd say the ones I'm talking about are definitely trocken or dry. It's trocken. the German term for it. Okay. So if you ever see trocken on a label, it'll mean that it's dry. Um, not to say that off dry styles are are you know should be overlooked but if you're looking for something that's crowd pleasing and for everybody a trocken or a dry style in general uh, would be the wine that kind of people will gravitate towards and germany generally has a range of styles from the bone dry um to the, the sweetest of the sweet so just a ask your friendly neighborhood uh 
salesperson. We, we always recommend that. Find a good shop and uh, consult and confide with them. Um, so Feast of the Seven Fishes, which is a variety of fishes, the magnum of a trocken Riesling, Riesling is, a, is a good hit. All right, move the next day to some meats. You have pork and then maybe you have some turkey, maybe a roast. What, what goes, maybe they're all three on the table. What's a wine or two that works with that? Yeah, I'd say something that's calling out to me is uh, a wine from uh, the Itata region of Chile right now. It's a Vinos Masintin, and they make this uh, amazing Sanso out of other varieties. I think this grape is fun, unique, um, has an elegance to it, but also a certain uh, power to it that I think works well with uh, all of those meteor flavors. So I may not have mentioned this to you before, but this is the sh third show where Itata <laughs> um, reds have come up. Pais and Sinzalt. Isabel Legeron is promoting it heavily for raw wine and the natural winemakers. Josh Green from Wine and Spirits on our year-end show um, basically sings the praises. I think it's two years in a row already. And I know how diverse your tastes are and your needs, you know, for all the restaurants, for you to bring it up. There must be something going on there. So that's a nice thing. Um, what do you do about pies? I mean, we have friends, you're done with the meal, they bring out like 11 pies. I know they're all different and there's probably a wine for each one, but what would you serve with pie? Yeah, you know, I think for that, for that particular variety of flavors, I would maybe say, go back to champagne and I would go with Champagne Margain. Um, they make this amazing demi-sec champagne. Explain what demi-sec is. Yes, essentially, this is a style of champagne that used to be a little bit more in vogue. It's slightly off dry. It still has that fruit, that acidity, uh, but a bit of a roundness to it that I think makes it such a versatile wine to have in the glass, especially with pie at that. You get that refre refreshing fizz and that acidity, but with a bit more of that roundness to pair with the flavors. If you guys don't follow those three recommendations, you're going to have a crappy night. I mean, everything <laughs> sounds so good, doesn't it? All right, let's finish with one more holiday, Kwanzaa. Traditionally known for fried fish, fried whiting, other fish, fried okra, um, some other fried vegetables. That's one category I want you to consider. Creole and dumbo, gumbo dishes, spicy stews, um, and maybe similar to pies, but let's see where you go. There's a lot of yams and a lot of different presentations. Marshmallows, mashed, just baked pies, all right? So give me your Kwanzaa recommendations. Yeah, I'd say <coughs> for the the fried kind of fish portion of that, I would maybe go Greek. Uh, you said fried fish and I automatically went to uh, went to Greek wine. So I'd say perhaps an Assyrtiko coming from um, Santorini is an easy one. So Hatsidakis would be a great, um, a great producer to come out of that. Um, and just these crisp lean flavors, I think work so well with, with seafood in general. And I guess for something perhaps a little bit more decadent, like, um, like the sweet pies, um, sweet potatoes, like you mentioned. I think with that, something that's a little bit richer, for some reason, I think, uh, I think perhaps a, a red coming from Sonoma, I think could be a fun dry red wine, um, perhaps something from Occidental, um, which is an amazing, uh, amazing family, the Kistler family, um, that's kind of uh, done that uh, for for more than a few years. So at you're this point. thinking Pinots. I'm thinking Pinot Noir. Um, so Kistler and Occidental, or o the Kistler's o Occidental. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The Occidental yeah. um, label Wonderful I think should stuff. be amazing. Yeah. Great Pinot, great body balance, and I think 
you know, the West Coast wines are uh, wines from the U.S. in general just have have such a great uh, profile to them. And speaking of that, especially if we're in New York, um, heading upstate um, in terms of a recommendation, Herman J. Weimer, again, with their Riesling, um, something that's a little bit rounder and still acid driven. And to throw something off the off the eastern part of New York, um, Channing Daughters. Um, um, I think produces some amazing, uh, unique wines, even a skin contact a variety. Wine. I mean, yeah. like dozens plus. Exactly. You know, where everyone's making Merlot and Chardonnay and Cobb Frank. This guy's like, can't keep track with him. Exactly. Uh, with Keep up with him. All right. So those are good ones. So there's your three holidays, some great recommendations. All right. Let's stay in this vein for a minute. You are a proud Filipino. You flaunt it proudly. We just talked off air. You're going back to an old buddy's wedding, um, which should be fun for you. So spend a few minutes. Tell me a traditional holiday meal on the Filipino table. We just mentioned a whole bunch of stuff here. And what wines and champagnes would go well with that? And I have no idea what the answer is. It could be more traditional than what we've been talking about. Or So go. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Uh, a Filipino feast for the holidays. The centerpiece will almost always likely be lechon, which is a whole roasted suckling pig that's been roasting for, for hours. And thankfully, you can also get that um, here in the United States, especially if you're uh, in New York, New Jersey. Uh, but that's always at the centerpiece of any celebration. And then you have everything else that's surrounding it, whether it's uh, pancit, which are thin glass noodles, you have adobo, you have dinuguan, which is a pork blood stew. You have kare kare, which is an oxtail braised with a peanut butter sauce and bok choy. Um, all of these things are staples that you will find in any Filipino feast. Honestly, it doesn't even have to be the holidays. It just has to be a celebration. Um, but that's what you'll find. And they bring in the pig out. For you bring in the pig and everybody is there carving it up. So I think... So center table is the... The lechon. The lechon. What's, what's the dream wine for a lechon? Oh my gosh, so many things. I think first and foremost, uh, I think champagne should be uh, uh, on the table with that one, especially because it's going to be a rich sort of fatty meal for sure. So something that's lean and crisp, but with a little bit of uh, body would be great. So I would recommend as a staple for everybody, perhaps Boulanger, special cuvee, which is an amazing blend that has, I think, a great amount of reserve wine. So you get that acidity and that freshness, but richness. also a bit of richness exactly on the palate, which is exactly what you'll want with a, a decadent bite, especially like the lechon skin. It's like mm, yeah. chef's kiss. Yeah. What? Pick another dish prominent on the table and let's talk about a wine with that. Absolutely. I would say for, let's say, a dish like a dish like kare kare, which is that braised oxtail that right. I mentioned in a peanut butter stew, I've always loved it with Chardonnay. So not to not to Why just Why does that work? I think it's So wait, that, there's you have the meat, you have kind of the braised down meat, and then is the peanut prominent in there? It's like, a very thick peanut butter sauce that it's almost in. So it's almost okay. uh, it's almost you you So tell the, me why Chardonnay? Yeah, I think Chardonnay or conversely Aligote from Burgundy would be great because it adds a little bit of that almost buttery flavor. Mm. And I think adding that flavor with this one, especially with the fermented shrimp that you have to mix in with it, is an amazing uh, combination of flavors. Um, and it's also a, a bit more of a neutral background to uh, the dish itself, which is so flavor. more of a buttery shard Yeah, than I would a say... racy steel tank. You want a little of that. Buttery. You want a little bit of that yep, kind of richer it. flavor. I totally get it. 
If you're having Filipino food, you go rich with rich. Not a bad thing. Jesus, it sounds like, you know, <laughs> we could probably do a whole, whole show on the Filipino meal. We should. I mean, if if we had to talk about the three or four influences in Filipino food, it would be Asian. Definitely. Latin? Yeah, there are definitely some, uh, there's definitely a big Spanish influence um, in the food that you have there. Um, and different parts of Asia as well, whether it's Chinese, Malay right. cuisine, it's all infused in, in there. Um, and of course, over the course of uh, the last few centuries, it's, it's kind of developed and kind of changed um, from, from there on out. So amazing kind of a mixing pot of, uh, of different, yeah, sounds uh, great. different influences. Um, you know, I follow the industry and I follow it around the country and you probably know this as well as I do but more higher-end Filipino restaurants are opening up. I think the Damaka Sema guys are open, you know, when yeah. they're doing it. I think there's one in Chicago. So it's exciting because just in the small descriptions of the foods we talked about, you know, how could you not love that? Yeah. All right, let's move along. Um, stay with Champagne for a second. Anything in Champagne exciting you now? Is it a region? Is it a maker? Um, is it a varietal? Like, you know, we mentioned Blanc de Blanc a few times, you know, are you drinking just Meuniers or Pinot Noirs? What's anything come to mind, you know, with Champagne that's been on your radar? Absolutely. I think with Champagne, it's always about discovery. It's obviously a very uh, historied region, but I think at the same time, there's there are always new things that are popping up from whether it's a larger champagne house or a smaller family that's uh, that's producing it. And the variety of styles are kind of ever increasingly changing. So the grapes are generally the same, um, but with the changes in, in climate and also what people are making, I think it's uh, it's been fun to kind of explore these slightly newer, newer cuvées. Is there a maker that kind of represents what you're saying? Yeah. I think maker-wise, I think perhaps something that um, something that I've been enjoying lately in the glass is Champagne Berger. So Bell for me. It's a B E R G E R E. Um, and I think I think the champagnes are of excellent value first and foremost, and they have just very different personalities in the glass. We're pouring right now a Solera, not a super long Solera, but a Solera of Chardonnay um, that he's making, and I think it's absolutely delicious wine in the glass, easy to pair with food, and I think it's something that is not to be missed. It's a name that may be new to some people, uh, but I think that's the beautiful part about uh, champagne and wine in general. Yeah, I mean, it uh, continues to surprise with different regions and makers and all of that. Um, what would be your splurge champagne? Ooh, that's such a great question. For a splurge champagne, sloss. Salos is always a great time. Um, Salos is a great time, but I would probably, um, I would throw in the hat. Um, this bowl. is splurge. This is splurge. In fact, it might be a over splurge. An over splurge, but uh, there's a new cuvee from uh, Champagne Boulanger called Coteau des Enfants, um, and it's a small plot. Um, just a powerful, rich, smoky champagne that is uh, haunting. I've only tasted it once. Like smokier than most champagnes. Yeah, I, it has this density to it without 
being big or rich that I think is uh, enchanting. So I think that's a, that's a hyper rare one to, to Ball find. Ballpark, not looking for total accuracy, but like what's a bottle of that cost? Yeah, I'd say retail, it would probably be in the realm of, I want to say... Twelve fifty to fifteen hundred. Oh, so that's a real splurge. It's a splurge. Splurge. I was going to cringe a little if you said two hundred eighty dollars. Yeah. No, that's a splurge. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm sure people will look out for it. All right, sparkling wine, bubbly champagne. Let's move to sparklers around the world outside of champagne. If you don't like champagne, you can't afford it, you want to mix some sparklers with champagne, tell me some regions, makers that have the quality, have good value. What Absolutely. are you thinking of? First thing to mind is Brundelmeier, coming from the Kamtal in Austria, hands down a pioneer in the you know traditional method, sparkling wines coming out of Austria. I think those wines are simply amazing. So they're, uh, they're Blanc de Blanc. Sect is just linear and will challenge s-e-k-t s-e-k-t is that dry in german or something what does sect mean sect essentially is their term for their sparkling wines sparkling wine. okay. absolutely and they are dry and they kind of use the same terminology that you would find in um in champagne so right. they'll say brut um as well or a brut reserve is it method champenois or they do it a little differently they do it the same with the second fermentation okay. in the bottle so i think they do a great job with that um I think for other sparkling wines uh, around the world, um, the world of Cava, I think, is uh, is amazing as well. There's a lot of cool things that are popping up um, in Spain. Uh, Juve Camp, of course, is a is a very storied name, and I think there this is a more affordable option. But just the regular um, Gran Reserva, the 2017, I think, is an easy wine to have on the table, um, and such a great uh, you know great accompaniment to any food. Um, and yeah, I think those are a couple of options that I, yeah. I would immediately look out for. I mean, the quality for. is there. And quality They're is not there. crazy like some champagnes. All right, last question. I'm going to let you go. I lied to you. I kept you here a little longer than I said. <laughs> um, this is a silly question, but I'm just curious. If you had to drink one wine, it's one of those desert island things, but not desert island. It's, listen, holidays are coming. You get to pick one wine. That's what you're drinking through the holidays. What's it going to be? It would probably be Egon Muller, Schwarzhoff Burger, Riesling, of okay. any of any sweetness level. But if I uh, if I had to choose, it would, I would choose a Spätlese with a little bit of age. I'm okay. Just, uh, I'm just enamored by the wines themselves. Obviously, the grape variety. I think this may be the tenth Riesling I've I've mentioned on this brief brief <laughs> podcast. There's no uh, truth to sommeliers yeah. love Riesling, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's thing. a lie. Uh, but I, I Listen, do love the wine. That's a great maker, and that's a great wine. And certainly, if you were stuck with it in your hand, you wouldn't be unhappy. Yeah. All right, listen, terrific job. Um, great diversity of styles, wines, matching. I didn't think any less, you know, you brought it all to the table. So I want to thank Jonelle for taking time out of a busy schedule. We're in ground zero. We're underneath the Christmas tree, almost literally, if I tell you that, um, in Rockefeller Center. So thanks for helping us for our year-end champagne and holiday show, and happy and healthy holidays to you. Thanks, Sam. Happy holidays. Thank you. I'm sitting with Katya Sharnagel, the beverage director at Coleman Restaurant in New York City. Coleman is a New York Times three-star restaurant by chef Marcus Glocker. 
Before coming to Coleman, Kachu was the chef sommelier with Aldo Somme at New York Times four-star restaurant Le Bernardine for many years. Now she's here. Thank you for doing this and happy holidays. All right, so I've known Katya for a while, and I handpicked her to help me do this holiday show. So, Katya, with you, I want to focus on champagne. Um, you're a big supporter. You have a bunch of them on your list. We know how good it is. Um, and it's a celebratory beverage, and the holidays are upon us, but it goes beyond that. All right. So the first thing is people think of champagne as a celebratory beverage. Okay for this time of the year, but why should we, we should drink champagne year round. Tell yes, me why, <laughs> why, Definitely I mean, <laughs> what is it about champagne that makes it right to drink anytime? It makes you feel special, you know, you come home after a long day, you know, and then you're like, you know, you want to drink something and why don't open bubbles, you know, if you want something great and it's great with fried chicken or French fries, you know. Doesn't have to be like an occasion, fancy food. you know. No, fried chicken. It's not fancy. <laughs> so that's a good point because people think of it as celebratory. But if you pop a bottle, it makes yeah. it special. Totally. All right, let's talk about foods for a second. Yeah. Tell me why it goes so well with fried foods. The freshness and acidity. So champagne usually have uh, acidity more than other wines, and so it really cuts through the fattiness of the um, for the dishes. But also champagne is super versatile, you know, it depends on what you do. Is it a blanc de blanc or is it a vintage champagne or something with age, you know? Right. You can go all the way through a menu, you know? It's something, if you and your partner don't agree on something to drink, open a bottle of champagne because you're both going to be happy. And it's super versatile with food. I was just going to say, would you say of all wines, still or sparkling, it's among, if not the most versatile it wine? Is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you feel it's still underappreciated? Like, I know huh. Psalms love it, and huh. you see it on lists in every type of cuisine, yes. and you're seeing more in stores, mm. but is it there yet? I don't think so. It's still, as you said, you know, people think you only buy champagne when it's, you know, for celebration, for New Year's or anything, but I think you still find some good values out there. And again, it's something, you know, you know I'm in the mood for red, I'm in the mood for white or anything. I think that's something both partners can agree on it. So when I go out to dinner with friends, yeah. Everybody knows that I bring the wine because I have a cellar and I don't want to drink everyone's sucky wine, so I'll bring mine. <laughs> so I used to bring a white and a red and uh -oh. those varied. Mm. Now I bring champagne and a red because the champagne, a lot of courses start with seafood, yes. sa you know, so that's the Sushi, goes, crudos, yeah. et cetera, you know. All right, I want to tap into your knowledge and expertise. Um, people may know this know a little about it or know nothing about it, but there's basically three blending grapes in Champagne. Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. Take a couple of minutes to discuss each varietal and what it adds to the Champagne. Like a Blanc de Blanc is all Chardonnay, you know, what's going on with that? And what are some of the trends you're seeing? So let's start, talk to me about the varietals. Um, so for the basic, uh, so Chardonnay, I think it brings freshness to it, you know, the complexity. Um, it's almost like, you know, like the apples, do you see the green apples, sometimes you smell on it. Um, the toastiness. Um, Pinot Meunier, I think it brings the acidity to it, the freshness to it. And then Pinot Nora, the structure, the texture, and almost sometimes the depth to it, if you so mind. So a all Chardonnay wine is called a... It's a Blanc de Blanc Champagne. Now yes. we're seeing... Are we seeing more like 
only Pinot Meunier wines now? Then yes, does that have like, a name? You know, like Blanc yeah, yeah. de Blanc or the Blanc Noir? Yes, Blanc Noir. And yes. the Blanc Noir works with all Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier. Yes. Okay, what in from your expertise, most of the champagnes out there are blends. Most of them are blends. Yes. I mean, there's Blanc de Blanc, the Chardonnay-driven Chardonnays. Uh, champagnes are definitely more in the forefront now. I feel like, you know, especially when you type into grower champagnes, you know, if right. you go into the houses, that's more the blend as it goes back in history right. of having, like, you know. Um, are people blending Meunier and Pinot Noir with no Chardonnay, or that's a tough blend? That's a tough blend. You don't yes, see yeah, much yeah, of that, like, right? Yeah. You'll see Meunier only, yeah. you may see a Pinot Noir only, but or you're not, Chardonnay or with yeah, Chardonnay yeah. and all of that. Um, what's your preference? I'm curious. Depends on which mood, and like, you know, what again, like, you know, it's for always the thing, an unfair you know? question because of the mood, <laughs> am I eating food? What I is know, the food? What is the thing to it? You know? But if you, you know? had to pick uh, one, I think I go more with the Chardonnay, yes. You would? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Blast, yeah. All right. I think more of the Chardonnay. All right, so we know some people like sweeter champagnes. Mm. Yeah. Typical. Yeah. Some people like drier champagnes. Mm. Tell my listeners what dosage is and what that has to do with sweetness. Yeah, yeah. And then let's talk about how we label bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dosage, I, you know, typing into Aldo here, he always complained it like, compared it to makeup, you know? So it's like dosage, you know, if you have a beautiful woman, makeup can enhance a beautiful woman. Too much makeup, you know, looks a little bit too much. It's a good, I think good that's way to put dosage, it. You know? So it's the adding um, touches of sugar to um, give the extra taste. It's really simple here to the champagne, you know? And I think there's a trend of like going super, super dry, extra food and bridge, which might be some, for some people might be too dry, you know, too astringent. Almost Is like that two, like very little or zero yeah, dosage. Yeah. It can be fantastic, but sometimes you know, if it's too astringent, too dry, it takes away from the pleasure of drinking it. You know, you right. want a little bit of roundness, you want a little bit of touch of sugar right. to it. Just you know, as I said, like you know, the one, makeup. One word you didn't say was sweeter. Like Aldo's point in your yeah. description is yeah. it enhances. It's not, you didn't describe it as, well, it makes it a little sweeter no, no, no. and that may be palatable. It makes it more nuanced yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or gives it layers yeah, or yeah. characters. But even if you go back, you know, most champagne houses, they were sweeter on the quotation mark but years back. Now the trend is definitely going drier and drier and drier, right. you know? So even if you like, you know, compare champagnes from 10 years ago, you would open them now and you drink them and you feel they're like slightly sweeter than it would be today because champagne houses dialed back because of the market. So if you look at champagne labels, mm. how do I know if a champagne is dry, very dry, sweet? How do I know about dosage? So it's a uh, uh, non-dosage, extra prit, um, prit nature. So that's really super, super dry. Prit is supposedly still dry. And then everything above then, that's kind of like the level of like, you know, there might be residual sugar in there. So go through it again. What's the driest? No dosage? No dosage, extra brut, brut nature, are the super, super driest. And so then extra brut, and then after that is yeah. brut nature? It's similar. similar? The same, it's the same thing, you know, brut, as people put it on there. And, and then brut? Yes. Then everything above is then 
And then do they call sweet champagne herb. sweet like sec or what? Demi-sec, yes. Demi-sec. All right. So yeah. if you're yeah, looking yeah. for champagne and you have a preference, you know, don't grab a Brut Nature if you want, you know, a wine with a little more but, dosage. And is the dosage on the bottle? somewhere some of them have it on the back label some, some of them are not okay but, you know. so you can look for that yeah. um give me a couple of picks my listeners need to bring gifts they need to bring wines to dinner um give me a couple of picks to drink um and think of value and quality yeah. All right, I'm talking however cheap you can get to however not oh, expensive yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can get. But I'm not throwing numbers at no, you. No, no, no. You know, um, and obviously this would come back to producers mm. that are favorites to you, that are tried and tested on the menus yeah. you've done by the glass. Just throw a few names out uh -huh. for us to, uh -huh. you know, look for that you know are reliable. Uh -huh. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I think two categories, one of the houses, I think they're always reliable, you know. It's one of the things, you know, Coke Champagne, my favorite. Um, you can buy all over the world, you're gonna open a bottle, you know it's good and it's gonna make a splash when you bring it. Um, other houses, uh, Le Röder, for example, you know, it's one of the things you can bring to a party. You know it's gonna be fantastic and good, Billy Casamo. And then for the smaller houses, um, I like Pierre Peters. Uh, which I think is very well known and that, right that now. That gets you in, in the value range. Yes. Louis uh -huh. Roder has Cristal uh -huh. and. But those the, are the entry the, level. The Brut Premier, or the, 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 I think they're not doing it. The Brut Premier. It's not collection. Yeah, the collection. Is a reasonably Fantastic. right. Yes. And, it's and those great are biodynamic yes. vineyards, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Krug is uh -huh. definitely name consistency, uh -huh. a little more expensive. Uh -huh. And then the Pierre Peters, yeah. he Pierre makes Peters, yeah, a yeah. few different Krugs, right? But the Cuvée de Reserve, it's fantastic entry level to Champagne, you know. And then some of the smaller discoveries, some um, Champagne Olens, which I, he came in here to the restaurant actually. Spell it. Uh, U-L-L-E-N-S. Wow, Tiny. I never heard of he it. He was a uh, Belgium architect who loves Champagne. And he started to do uh, work in the Champagne region, met Chatron, Alexandre chatron Taillet, and then sort of like started to study Champagne. Him? And he wow. uh, started Champagne as in 2019. So that's a tiny producer and actually good, good value and really that's, not expensive that's why i ask you to do this because you come up with a name like that that uh -uh. nobody probably heard of uh -uh. and the quality and the value uh -uh. is all there all right let's i can't afford champagne or i want to do more than champagne talk to me about sparkling wines talk to me about regions you know cava sec whatever talk to me about makers what comes to mind and there's a quality play there too um, I mean, I have to talk about an Austrian sect, obviously. Um, Gobesburg. Those are fantastic uh, sects coming out. Um, pet nuts, um, that's something super refreshing. Um, yes, Tell everyone what a pet nut is. <laughs> Champagne is fermented twice. Twice. A pet nut is like, you know, either you add CO2 to it and uh, the base wine. Um, but it's something easygoing, fantastic. Usually they have like crown cork on there. Yes. Easy to open. Um, there's definitely some more unfiltered, unfined pet nuts, pet nuts out there. Yeah. It depends on they what you They could be are. funky. Yeah. <laughs> but so, I think pet nut is yeah. a category, and everyone makes it. Yes. The U.S., France, Everybody Italy, um, Australia. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. fun suggestion. Uh, Cremance from the Loire Valley. Uh, Chenin Blanc-Based. Very reasonable. Uh, Lambert. That's a fantastic producer. 
really reasonable, fantastic, and almost almost tastes like champagne. Do you like Lambrusco? Oh yes, Lambruscos are great, especially with pizza. Oh my god, fantastic! I know. <laughs> I, you know, I remember the dark red fizzly yeah. ones. They're way more evolved. Oh, definitely. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's terrific stuff really out there. Really cool stuff out there. All right, I'm, I'm asking everyone this: What's your splurge champagne? If you could have a bottle or drink whatever you want, what would you call for? I would still go back to Krug. Sorry. You would? <laughs> yes. All right. So that's kind of a tribute to you know, the Krug. Kube, you know, it's fantastic. I, you know, you know I, I think that's perfect. Yeah. All right. I flew home with you. I'm walking around Austria with you. I go to your house and I'm about to sit down for your Austrian holiday meal. So I want to know what's out on the table, and then I want you to talk to me about wines you pair with that. Okay. You know, typical uh, uh. could be what your family does, what's uh, uh, traditional, uh, uh. a combination. Uh, 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 uh. What am I looking at? Uh, appetizer, smoked salmon, then uh, like small deviled eggs, you know, things like this. And then uh, Christmas goose, you know, so with uh, dumplings. goose more than and... turkey or <laughs> yes. ham? Yeah. All right, so... Nice smoked salmon, anything on it, creme fraiche or just lemon? Just, you know, capers. And what am I drinking with that? Uh, let's stick in Austria. Let's do it at the um, Schloskobelsburg sect. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Now, is a goose even more fatty than a it duck? It is. Okay. So it's very rich. You got a terrific skin. You got a dark meat oily. What's what's And then red cabbage and the dumplings. And the lingerberries, you know. All right, so wait, <laughs> let's do the goose first. Let's... Uh, Blau Frankish, all the way. No questions. No questions about okay. it. Blau Frankish brings spice to it, you know, has nice acidity. And I would go for Georg Priller, uh, the Blau Frankish, uh, Johannes Höhe, uh, which is his entry level. But then you also can splurge up to single vineyards. Um, he just brought into US um, the Mariental 2013 with a little bit of age to it, which is... A little bit more splurge, but it's the holidays, and it's fantastic. I had Josh Green on my show last uh, week. It was uh, my year-end show. And I asked him his favorite food and wine pairing. Uh, his friend made a duck at Thanksgiving uh, uh, and paired it with Blaufranc. Uh, yeah. So that's Blaufranc a wine everyone should be uh, looking uh, for. All right, does anything pair with cabbage? The red uh, cabbage. I mean, the Blaufrankish works, too. You know, it's it like, does. You know, I mean, usually you have a lot of like onions in there. You sauté yeah. the red cabbage. You know, you add a lot of red wine in there. You know, and then you have so spices. So besides for their, Frankish, like, you know. what else would go with it? Uh, if we're sick in Austria, um, St. Laurent from the Taman region, and then Aust Austria makes some fantastic blends as well. But let's so with you Frankish. mentioned lingonberry. What yeah. goes on with that? They make a lingonberry sauce for the goose, there or is, is it a like, separate? It's like lingonberry jam. You know, jam. so you put on the side, you eat with the goose, you know? Okay. Um, anything go with that? Sweeter wine or no? No, that's just, yeah. It's just like a little smart, like a small component on it, you know? Like the garnish. Now what, I think I've probably eaten them here. Mm. What's some classic Austrian desserts that you would see at your family get together? Uh, for the holidays, um, definitely all the cookies in the world. So it's called, uh, one is vanilla kipfer, which is basically hazelnuts, butter, and butter <laughs> and sugar. Nuts and butter, you know? rich. And then, yes. And so the little uh, cookies that look like a half moon, and when they come out, you know, you dust them in powdered sugar. 
and that's pretty much for the holidays. Um, that's one of the most classic ones you can get there. And it's just, you know, you keep them for like two weeks, you know, then it just get really kind of like... What's super, a good sip tough. with a bite of that? Uh, Kracher. <laughs> what is that? Kracher Bernersleese. Alles Kracher. Oh. Yeah, harvest Cracker song. Aldo yeah. makes a wine with them too. Is that a sweet wine? No, that's the regular Grüner Veltliner. Um, but uh, Gerhard makes a sweet wine. Yeah, yes. but th yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking. So yeah, yeah. Gerhard's sweet wine yeah, yeah. with um, with the vanilla kipfer. Yes. All right, I'm not going to take up much of your time, much more of your time. Um, for the holidays, like everyone, you're going to be working a lot. Oh yes, I'm going to no be here. No rest for the weary. <laughs> I'm going to be here in Colomar. Yes. Listen. I'm sitting with Katja and we're at uh, Coleman. And if you haven't made your holiday plans, I don't even know if there's anything available. This is a restaurant going forward should be on your radar. Um, it's absolutely terrific. All right, so I wanna thank my friend Katja Sharnagel um, for taking time to help us with our year end wine and champagne special. We beat a few good recommendations out of you. So I appreciate that. And I wish you the happiest and healthy of holidays. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy holidays. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheese making craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm here with Aldo Sohm, the longtime award-winning head wine guy at Le Bernardine and proprietor of Aldo Sohm Wine Bar in New York City. Aldo has been with Eric Repair at the three Michelin-starred and New York Times four-star restaurant Le Bernardine for about 17 years. He opened his eponymous wine bar almost 10 years ago, and he is also the author of Wine Simple. And if you go to the Grape Nation archives, there's an episode of me and Aldo talking about the book Wine Simple. Um, so that's fun. To me, Aldo Som is the dean of New York sommeliers, the dean of all sommeliers. When I think of this business and I think of wine and I think the people, you know, that do this, I think of Aldo at the top of the list. And I'm not saying that to flatter you. You've earned it. So so that's also why you're here for the second year in a row. All right, so let's jump right into it. This is our holiday show, and I want to tap into your expertise um, on a bunch of things. So I'm curious, because I'm such a restaurant guy in New York and all that, do you see a change in people's drinking habits at La Bernadine and here at the wine bar during the holiday season? Are they drinking differently? Are they drinking more of something that they don't? I mean, is the obvious answer champagne or 
Well, first, uh, a big warm hello from Midtown Manhattan. Here we add Aldo <laughs> all the listeners. Uh, happy holidays uh, to you as well. And thank you for having me. And thank you for the really kind words. You know, wine is my passion. And this passion never left me. And I feel blessed with it. And uh, I'm also very, very fortunate to work, you know, with such a great partner, uh, Eric Repair, and also Maggie Lecos, which, again, I learn daily from them. i got to right. be honest. Plus... I am part of an absolutely fantastic team and I managed also to, you know, create also a, a fantastic team on both sides, uh, whether it's Le Bernardin or whether it's Alderson Wine Bar. And uh, it's quite refreshing to work with young talents uh, because I've been there once, you know, many, many uh, weeks ago myself and I, it's wonderful to watch. To answer your question is... Um, but what, yeah. before you answer, you said the word team two or three times. And a lot of people, it's I, me, me, I. I know with you it's about team. And, uh, I, you know, you have worked or people have worked for you, you know, in the years that I said you've been here, 10, 15, 17 years. These people have moved on in the industry to, you know, other positions, higher positions. And you're always, you know, bringing new people in. And that's your mentality. Uh, I mean, first of all, no one works for me. Uh, I work I did, with them. That's why I said and team. They work with me. I was wrong. And no, no, but it's a very important uh, difference in terms of mindset. And, you know, often you see this. Now, I did this myself many, many years ago until I realized what I'm doing makes no sense. <laughs> it's a little bit like, you know. Uh, you know, if you run the wine program, you're the guy who is constantly completely slammed. And it's a little bit like you watch, you know, the Con Edison workers on, on the corner. Right? There's two guys working and five people are watching them and they're not, they're not looking really happy I about know. it. So That's I started, so New York. And I learned this, right? Um, uh, when, you, when you approach, you know, life with an open eyes and an open spirit, you have to involve your team and let them feel the responsibility and let them feel the weight and also the consequence if you tank something, right? Obviously, we, I'm here there just to prevent that happening. But, and also as a mentor, look, uh, I learned this one fantastic quote from Ted Lasso. As a mentor, you would hope a, a great sommelier would move on. Of course, it's painful. Sure. Right? Do you think it was not painful when Katya left? You're kidding me. These were big shoes to fill. Huh? It's sort of the highest compliment and the sign that you are successful. Yeah. But, you know, and her specifically mm, moved on to an incredible or, opportunity. Or having a Sarah move on, right? Right. Uh, Sarah Who Thomas. didn't even stay in the business, kind of explored another area yeah, and succeeded I, at it. I got her into this. She asked That's right. me. And I set the stage just for her as a part-time. That's right. But... I think it's important you know, to have people around you who are happy, right. not miserable, Well, <laughs> because they're blocked. People neglect that. They worry about the customer and not their employees. When your employees are happy, your customers will be you happy. You can do both. That's right. You should do both. Yeah. All right. Get back to my question. Okay. Uh, holiday wise. Holidays are, are people's, you know, people probably are coming here now between now and the end of the year that maybe didn't come here because they want to celebrate so you get a bump in that besides the regulars what are they what are they drinking is it different uh i mean look the beauty what i love about this industry no table is alike you know you have some tables who eat you know three times at Libernadan per week you have some people who save an entire year to afford a meal at Libernadan. and i love that 
Some people, you know, fly thousands of miles to come to us and to have a dinner and an experience. You know, every table is different. I think it's more about the human. What do they, where these people are in their mindset? What are they looking for? And what are they looking to experience? And I think that's the key component, just taking time and looking into the human itself. Uh, I mean, we see this all the time, right? You have a business dinner, right? Um, they entertain. And then the next day, the client comes back with his wife. It's a total different experience. Right. I got to cater to. Right. And he right? came back because of the night and it's before. It's just a very simple, such a very simple thing. Yeah. And I find that fascinating, right? Because you get to learn and you get to see so many different sides of, um, of human beings yeah. and personalities. Now, with, with that being said, I mean, of course, during the holiday season, people celebrate, people party. Of course, they drink more champagne. They drink probably more burgundy. They spend probably so a little bit more. So champagne is obvious. Did you say burgundy? Yeah. Just because uh, that's a splurge thing. Yeah, hey, let's... For us, it's... Yeah, but it's also Le Barnadan. I mean, look, well, first of all, champagne works with our food uh, just perfectly. 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 It's like course, a match to course, made to course, to course. Yeah. There's nothing to do wrong. And because it's a French-established restaurant, burgundy, Correct. you know, is going to lead the, the call. Correct. And it also works also great with our food. Here and there, we sprinkle some Austrian wine in because people know I'm Austrian and I'm biased. And, but I think, look, today's wine world is so exciting. Even for someone who says, look, I used to drink Burgundy, but it got a little bit out of my price range. Look, there's so many interesting new wines out there. Uh, in explore. Burgundy too, you know, Marcinet, yeah. Ali Goat, yeah. <clears throat> well, new producers. Everywhere. You look to the new white <coughs> Portuguese wines. They're fantastic. Incredible. Right? Um, again, this is the fun part about wine. If you have an open mindset, you can drink really fun and exciting wines now. So to your point, a restaurant like this has been so established and the wine list is so important and you have to kind of have a wine list that represents the food and what you've been doing. Do you, Aldo Somme, have the leeway to put those Portuguese whites on or the list is tight and maybe it doesn't go with the food or it's not the right price point? I guess the question is, is this a harder restaurant for someone like you to explore and put these wines on? Um, this is a two-folded question, I assume. And maybe three. Uh, one of them, look, uh, I enjoy, I mean, look, I'm now here for 16 plus years at Le Bernardin. Uh, Maggie and Eric uh, really trust, trust me. Of course, I justify, explain what I'm doing. And sure. all, so they know they're not in the tapping in the dark. Uh, that's one. Uh, of course, I see, look for new wines, new exciting I'm not going after trends because trends come and trends go. But I think what is interesting, what Fair offers point. a value to our clients, what works also with the food beautifully well, because you ultimately want to, you know, you want to work together with the kitchen, sure. right? Um, not against it. Right. And ultimately, I look also what is, uh, what do the, our clients look for, right? Right. Um, it's not always you, it's them. It's not about me at all. Yeah, uh, except for the Austrian wines. Yeah, but yeah, they go well. Uh, there is, look, nothing, I think in life, we often take ourselves so seriously. A little sense of humor often brightens up the situation. I'm, and breaks I'm, the I'm ice. busting you. But 
So, so you do have an opportunity to do it. 100%. But you, you, you know, there, I wouldn't call them guidelines, but they're just things you need to think about the customer, the food. I mean, look, I gave you once this example, I believe it was on our early show when a handful of my colleagues gave me a hard time because I had a specific uh, larger champagne brand and uh, on the list. And I used this always as an example. You have a young couple, a young date coming in, right? And she wanted that champagne because it's advertised in every lifestyle magazine. And they gave me a hard time. I said, why don't you serve a grower champagne? I said, why would I do that? And I said, she doesn't get what she wants. He doesn't look very good, right? I downsell the restaurant, first of all, and also the floor. And secondly, I will lose a small, I will win one quick little battle, but I lose the client overall. It's a good point, and it's a smart point. And it's not like you don't have other grower champagnes on the list. You know, you're just taking some crap because you had that one. You build a relationship with that and a trust with the client because we care. I mean, for the long game, probably. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here for 16 years. Sure. And I think these are all long-term relationships, and they build trust. Well, I think you have a good sense for it. Um, In your book, Wine Simple, which I read a couple times, and I use it as a reference, um, and I quote you, you said, just because a wine is expensive doesn't mean it's good. Many of the wines I drink on the weekend cost loss, cost less than 25%, $25. Mm, I'm sorry. That went up slightly a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> everything went up slightly. Um, so let's stay with that point, which is a great point, and let's stay with the holidays. What are some of those weekend wines that are good for the holiday? Or what are the good value wines for the holiday? Because, and you taught me a lesson. You know, I do the wine list where I ask five questions. And one of the questions I asked was what it's called, what's your favorite all-time wine? And initially I was curious about the guests' rarest, most expensive wine they ever had. The question has morphed into not that, but what's the wine that changed the way you thought about wine? That was a gateway and all of that. And I once asked you, I said to you, Aldo, what's the most expensive bottle of wine you ever sold there? And I may have even been obnoxious and said, to who? And you wouldn't answer the question for all the right reasons. And that's why I changed the question. It's not about the big expensive wine. It's about the experience or the importance that wine had to you. So I changed the question. So yeah, this money, play- money often has, a, brings often quite a lot of noise into it. And you lose actually And you're the what one who said, I drink $25 wines, you know, around there on the weekends. Yeah, but it's, it's a mood thing. No, I mean, no, I know. If I'm, if I'm sitting on the beach, uh, you know, in 90 degree weather and, you know, high humidity, the last thing I want to drink is a Romani Conti. Fair enough. Right? But, but let's, <laughs> let's box that in a little. We're in the holiday season. Um, a lot of the country is in cooler weather. Some people hope for a white Christmas. Think of that for ho- holiday wines. I mean, does anything make sense there, you know, in that lower price range? What would you recommend to people? Uh, I think you, should, you look, I, I'm also, I mean, I pick on the point that I just made. I follow my mood swings. Right? What am I craving today? Right? Sometimes you crave a steak. Sometimes you crave 
piece of salmon. Sometimes you crave just the pasta. When I'm off, so I'm off. Part of it is food driven. Totally. Okay. And for that, I put the wine onto it. And sometimes, I, shockingly enough, I don't even go on uh, wine. I just have a simple beer. Right. So same thing, crisp, refreshing. Uh, where I can sit and just talk to my wife and not being distracted by wine conversation. It's funny because I asked Katya, um, tell me a traditional Austrian holiday dinner and let's see if we could pair wines. And Goose came up, lingonberries, um, and then your favorite cookie of all time, the I, something... With a K, what's it called? It's called vanilla. It's because vanilla. it's made with vanilla kipfel. Kipfel. Kipfel, which, which kipfel is basically the first, before the croissant came around, the kipfel. That's actually the car, that's the carbon coffee. Which she said <laughs> you know, was your favorite. And she actually showed me a, um, a video of you keeping a box in the wine cellar at Le Bernardine and just going uh, in and yeah, out. This, and, is and, the, this is the, how do you call them, guilty food pleasures? Yes. And yes. There, was, and, there was no stopping. But also, you That's don't eat them all the time, and they're reminiscent of... I will happily say this in public. Just for that reason, my calorie intake, I'm so happy she's gone. That's right. <laughs> she this showed me a awful. box. There must have been 100 in there. Oh, my God. So, Again, they're so delicious. So I can't stop there. So you, you just taught me another thing. You know, I'm asking you, what are good value holiday wines? And your answer was, it's really the mood. It's situational. And it's also food driven, which you and I know. So, I mean, it's really circumstantial to all those things. It's hard to, that's too general of a question. It's, it's a very general question. But I think, look, we often tied up in cornered. We have to do this, we have to do that. How come we just, you know, the best parties are always the parties which I didn't, aren't planned. Right. Right. I agree that's exactly that. what I follow on my Sunday. I agree with that. Um, people drink a lot of champagne during the holidays, as we said. Yeah, you but know. you don't have to. For instance, well, that's my question. For instance, it's, it's been perceived as a celebratory drink. Tell people why we should drink it all year round. Right. I mean, we. Should. I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I mean, if you drink, for instance, Raventos from Pepe Raventos, the Raventos y Blanc, it's a delicious sparkling wine from Spain, right? Especially the rosé, right? There's nothing wrong. That's a little bit above now, but uh, the white is still kind of in, within that range. It's a delicious wine. Easy. Uh, then even because I just watched a movie. Um, what movie? Uh, Psalm 4. Uh, oh, it just came the, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the Koish sparkling wines. Very interesting sparkling wines from Armenia. So right? I, I, one of and the questions I'm asking everyone is outside of Champagne, talk to me about sparklers. So yeah. number one, you said Pepe Reventos. Yeah. And I want to do a shameless plug. Pepe's going to be on The Great Nation in January. Really? Yeah. He's he, the best. He reached out to us. Oh. I said, Jesus, oh. you know, how soon can you do this? So I'm excited in January to talk to him. So What a great human. Yeah, looking so so Spanish sparkling. Um, Armenia is now in the headlines mm. for sparkling and still wines. Yeah, there's actually one up in the Basque country too. It's actually run by Michael Skernik, has, is Isar Lendi, where Rafael Beresh is behind. Ah. Interesting sparkling wine, right? Uh, it's above the 25. I think it retails for around but 30, that's okay. 35. But it's delicious. Right. Really, really tasty. What about sect yeah see this is the one thing uh, which um, <laughs> one of you know there's so many price changes and everything is up and up and up 
I think in today's world, we look for, you know, what is kind of, I don't want to say undiscovered, but what is kind of didn't go up crazy. And that is actually one area where you still can drink quite a lot of uh, quality for your dollar. Uh, German sparkling wine. So, and that's a big thing. Also, Austrian. The quality right? is for good. Instance, if you drink from Fred Leumer, makes a, uh, from the Kamtal region, makes a delicious sparkling wine. What do you think that eventually it'll come into prominence and get discovered, or it could remain under the radar? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously we gravitate here in New York to French because, of course, you know, everybody knows Paris. Uh, we have about 500 uh, love movies from Paris, uh, <laughs> not so much about Germany and Austria. <laughs> that being said, it, look, quality will always succeed. Right. Uh, it might take some time, right. but people always will discover it. You know, and how much more fun is it when you travel fine? You eat and drink and discover. And it's it's But simple. you should always discover here too. Yeah. You should defer to your yeah. SOM or to your retailer. You know, you should say, I want to try something different. Here's what I like, what's similar, or I want to try something new. Right? I mean You know, it's a comfort comfort thing, you know. Buying wine can be awfully intimidating, especially if you don't know or if you're not familiar with that topic. So it's kind of very hard. Yeah, but you're the guy, so I'm. Sitting, I know, but it's I'm, no, but I'm sitting here with you, and I'm saying, yeah, wine is intimidating to buy. You know, I gotta go in for the holidays and buy champagne, maybe sparklers. You know, something a little better than what I normally give. What's the best way to do that? I mean, did we answer it already by saying talk to your? To me, it's look. Um, I mean, it, it, it's such, it's such a good question because this is just an everyday situation I see. And then often when you have uh, a couple, right? He likes Burgundy, she likes Big Napa Cup. So how you bridge this gap, right? So I often try to listen into both, you know, what, and he says, of course, he's polite. I said, take a good wine for my wife. I said, so he defers to her. He defers to her. You don't pick something that would appeal to both of them. I look for that. That too. How can I bridge the gap? Right. Right. So both are happy. Right, because you want to no, but you want to have people give a good time. That's a that's a tough uh, that's an art. You know, I mean, not everyone listens because everyone is kind of preaching. Yeah, what but that's they our like. job. Yes, yeah, no, 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 you got to listen and you got to yeah. look and observe. When you come here, that happens. Um, wait, so he wanted burgundy, she wanted what? Uh, big bold uh, Napa cups. Okay, right. So, so wait. No, so what do you wind up doing? Ha- these instances happen all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. All the time. Or a Bordeaux, right? Burgundy uh, Bordeaux. I forgot what I gave him, but he says, "Oh my God, this is so delicious!" Right? Uh, you know what I gave him? Uh, I gave him the Rosso di Montalcino from uh, Stella di Campalto. Wow. Right. Um, because it's not. Big yeah. over the top. Correct, but she had the power enough and well, yeah. soft enough, you know. That's a perfect so, choice. And the Rosso, not even the Brunella. No, we didn't, yeah, but didn't want to cook. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> but uh, so he absolutely loved it, right? He said, oh my God, this is super delicious. So you want to be inclusive in that sense, right? And get all of them together. I, I, I right? think that's the way to yeah. make everyone happy. And that is a brilliant choice. Um, because that's a setup for you as a sommelier because you will, if you don't pay attention to that, right, um, only 50% of the party will be happy. I know. Right? Which is Rather not, if you have to change in it to your 100. business, that's not a good success Correct. rate. Um, and 
you know, ironically, Stella is still one of those under the radar great producers that makes, yep. you know, great wine. Um, when you talk about champagnes, do you do by the glass champagne here? A lot. So do you we have it? We have it actually in the pairing too. Do you have favorites that are always here? Do you try to rotate? You know, because that's an opportunity for you to introduce champagnes that maybe you're not buying cases of for the seller, right? Um, or uh, both. You know, this became quite a challenging situation with the supply chain uh, issues we had in the last really? couple of years. Something you couldn't control. Yeah, because look, I have champagne also on the wine pairings. And I find that fun. And I don't bring it at the first course. I actually bring it in the second or third sometimes because it's a little provocative. Right. Right. Because people are not accustomed to that. They, in America, people drink champagne as aperitif or as a toast. Not in the middle. But then it's when you have a, you know, a good talking point. I said, we can drink champagne with everything. And if I'm stuck in a wine pairing, I pick champagne. And it will work because you have so many layers. Do Are people open to that? 100%. Is that becoming less and less because people are becoming more either sophisticated or aware that be open? You know, I have many freedoms in life. Judgment is not one of them. Right. I can't look, at, I don't look at it from that angle. I just look at it, you know, how can I work in the best possible way together with Eric and the food? Right. Uh, when you have an eight course tasting menu with wine pairing, how like, many wines are you going to pair? Eight. The, you'll do, I do a, eight. a wine uh, a, a course. Yeah. Jesus. I thought maybe one or two would yeah, go from one course to the next. We thought I of, get it. We I, thought about that for a while. The issue with this is, you know, you can tailor it much more and can tweak it much more without making a compromise. Right. Uh, we have to make compromises sometimes in the work, uh, at work, but we try not to do this on the client. Right. This has to be on. God. Um, so, how many... But to answer your question, is, uh, we have often certain favorites because they do very, very well. Um, it's a little tricky to get enough stock to make this work. So what you want, you can't always get. And well, what you life. want, you just indicated, <laughs> is a reaction to what the customer yeah, wants. Yeah, look, I mean, I, brought, I just have here a bottle of Charton Taillet, which is an all-time favorite of mine. Right? Um, look, these champagnes became also very, very popular. So all of a sudden, you know, we used to pour them by the glass. Now it becomes much more challenging. Uh, I'm happy for Alexander. Is champagne going through that burgundy thing where it's less available, more expensive? Well, and the, access is. I mean, they were, I think for the longest while, um, they were way undervalued. Um, yes. I so think, well, maybe just to get attention, they had undervalued, but uh, uh, now it's catching up. And, you know, I mean, look, I'm always happy when someone is successful who works very, very hard. Right. And that's a good guy. Yeah. Um, you know, very good guy. And he makes a bunch of beautiful champagnes. And what's nice about that is he makes great champagnes. And there's a pretty large handful of other guys, you know, like him, Tons. which is really, you know, I mean, it's more than a renaissance. I mean, champagne is a great place 
um, you know, to select stuff. So, you know, I'm glad to hear that. Um, I know I asked you this last year, but I want to kind of bang this into people's heads. So I'm going to ask you this every time, I think. Um, what is the perfect glass for drinking champagne? <laughs> I'm obviously biased. I will always say it's alto. But uh, well, I, no, I got but a... Zalto is a manufacturer and a gorgeous manufacturer. I mean, it's lighter than air. The workmanship is crazy. Yes. But you, you're not talking about. Let, let's talk about the type. You talk about not the type. a Zalto champagne flute. Yeah, see, this is a loaded. It's not. This is the loaded gun. <laughs> well, I thought <laughs> we got why. beyond this. No, uh, me. I personally, when you have, I have always the Zalto Universal on most of the champagnes. Now. If you have some a little bit more austere um, Blanc de Blancs, I go into the white wine glass. So but the first glass is the, my universal is basically which is I, a, a wider it's open. It's a little wider. It's like the a red wine. It's a white wine, red wine glass. R right. Okay. But then you have a little bit richer versions of champagne, you'll like a Chardonnay or Beresh or a Krug. You'll or, go to a white wine glass. Correct. Which is a little narrower on the top. Correct. But nothing like a, like a champagne flute. No. Yeah. But if you have, for instance, a Pierre Peters, right? That's when I go in there, where I go in the white one. The other one I do universal. And but on a Pierre Peters, I often go in the flute too, because my wife insists on a flute. That's different. If you want a flute, you want a flute. I just want people to know that. But she likes the gloss. She likes the Zalto flute so much. Zalto does make a flute. Does make a oh, flute? Yeah. But she likes nice. it. It's such um, a sexy gloss, and she's adamant about it. And you know what? Here is the bottom line on wine comes down to it. The fish has to like the bait, not the fisherman. If she is happy, I was just gonna say that's that. all it takes. You don't want to f with that. No, <laughs> right? But um, and I'm fine with again. Listen, I don't judge uh, this. Look, what is delicious so, to you is delicious. So you answered the question. There's really three options. There's you know a universal wine glass for some more austere wines. There's you know a white wine glass, and if you love the flute, you drink from a flute. That's all. Hundred percent. What about temperature? Um, yeah, that's very tricky on champagne. Uh, Why? Because does it vary by the champagne, or is it a general thing? I think to me, champagne is one of the most sensitive wines on temperature in general. So under or over, you you have a well, miss too there. cold. Uh, it's not good. Too warm, it gets richer and loses kind of its spark. So I often have this habit when I drink it at home. I pour myself and then constantly go put it back into the fridge to keep to the keep the temperature, temperature steady. Correct. Now, so tell me about the starting temperature. What should it be about? And then you're talking about maintenance. Instead of sitting mm -hmm. on a table for forty minutes, you go back and I'm the always fridge. I'm what? always on. I, I mean, a regular fridge has seven, eight degrees Celsius. I think that averages into forty-four, forty-five okay. degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so that's got a nice little chill to right. it. You don't want to go colder because mm -hmm. you'll lose flavor yeah. body. Now, if and, it's and, an aged or vintage champagne, then you can warm up a little bit, but right. not too much. Get all the nuance Correct. and everything. Um, and I'm curious about this. This is a dumb question, but do we pour champagne differently than wine? Do you pour out more champagne? I, maybe there's two parts to that. There's what you do in a restaurant, and then what would you do if you were at a dinner with friends? You I know, mean, probably the, the listeners can see me smiling, but I have I share a very funny story with you. Happened in the first week when I landed in the U.S. 
as a European, you always hold the glass in a 45 degree angle and pour the champagne gently in so the bubbles don't go away. And I remember the maitre d' that on that tapped immediately in my hand, do not do that. In New York, we don't touch the glass of the client. And if the New York Times catches you, they're going to hammer you. Right? And I said, what? Wow. <laughs> and I was... The culture shock. It's thing. just... It was, no, I mean, listen, again, but... So I got accustomed to it. That's why I saw me smirking. This was one of my instant uh, things. And I think back in the day, uh, Frank Bruni was the reviewer. Right? Um, I never actually went, why Why not? Why? What's the, what's the issue? But... That's kind of the culture shock there is. Uh, That's interesting. Right? Is that still going on in Europe? Yeah, you see this quite frequently. All right, so answer the question now. When you pour champagne or you pour a bottle of wine, are you pouring both of them the same? Or can you pour champagne out a little more? Mm, no, I pour less. Again, temperature is key. I don't want to have it uh, warm up. Right? I, what are you talking, like a third of a glass or less? Hey, I mean, <laughs> ah, I see where you're coming from. I don't feel it up to the very top. No, I know that. I just feel a quarter. Quarter. Right? Depending on what even... type of glass that is, right? right? If we talk about the Zalto yeah. Universal. It's a big uh, glass. I even go in a fifth. Right. It's a tiny amount. Huh? Just, uh, I mean, yeah, a couple of sips. That's it. Um, what do you do in a restaurant with uh, champagne? You keep it in a cooler to make well, sure that you can maintain? First of all, we always ask the client, um, How do they you like prefer it? it in a flute or do you prefer it in a wine glass? Okay. I'm fine either way. Wait, right? but let's do a little survey. To your recollection, what do most people ask for? Is it down the middle? Is uh, it the wine glass is increasing. Okay. It's still a good it's amount. It's flute. Flute for a long people, time. Okay. I that mean, makes look, sense. These things take time. Yeah, that, that makes total uh, sense. But And then people often, some people say, well, what, what's the difference? And then I said, would you mind me showing it to you? And I show it to them what the difference is. Do they tend to switch to the wine glass after? Yeah. And for some people, it's a new experience, so they have to get more accustomed to it. But again, you start a thinking process. What about temperature? Do you, do you chill it for people? Ice bucket, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you, uh, it's rare unless the and it's customer funny, on champagne's for... actually, uh, how this varies. On champagne's, some people really like it extra cold, right? Do you give in to that or you say... We whatever? ask. It's a temperature okay. good, right? Okay. Uh, if they say we like it to take warm, uh, cooler, fine. All right, one last question and then I'm going to let you go because we've been here almost a half an hour, which is twice what I kind of told you. Um, <laughs> what... Is your splurge champagne? Oof. Splurge. Uh, splurge. I love Cristal. Um, Any I'm particular vintages? 13, uh, 14? I love 12. 12? Quite a bit. Obviously, 8. Uh, I love also Winston Churchill quite a bit, or Claude Iguas. Um, so those are my splurges. Okay. Right? Um, I had the good fortune about a month and a half ago to sit down with Jean-Baptiste Le Caillon. It was... Love boy, him. Love him. I love him now. I mean, yeah. I knew it. Um, and I think he had a good time. We both had a good time. He's really a terrific guy. He came He's, to Bushwick? 
No, I actually. <laughs> they, so here's. It's funny you say that. He came to Bushwick. I taped him at the Baccarat Hotel. Okay, okay there we just go. like Bushwick. There we go, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that where he was sitting. Yeah. No Bushwick at all. Um, all right, so those are but, some pretty good splurges. So V, this is always an interesting journey because when you go to Bushwick, I, I often tend to have a quick little bite at Roberta's after. Well, that's. I, I think. Um, the second time you came on this show, I think we had a bite afterwards. We had Nancy Slagowitz yeah. with us and a couple other people. Yeah. We all sat around. That was yeah. a lot of fun. Who doesn't want to do that? And we brought the wines from the show mm -hmm. over. So that was great. Um, and Nancy has still stayed very true to champagne. And Brooklyn is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I um, live there. <laughs> I know. I know. For for a while. And restaurants like Ival and Falanza. There's some great, and there's some great... Um, Mexican taco place. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm going to Aval this week, uh, this Sunday. I'm curious I'm to super hear. Super excited. What that's like. Me? No, I was there a couple, uh, three weeks ago. And I have to admit, I was craving the next day the you food were. again. And that's a statement. Have you been to, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, Elis? No. Elis? That's the Copenhagen guys yeah. or what? I'm curious to see what's going on there. All right, Aldo, I'm going to let you go. I want to thank Aldo Som for taking time out of a busy schedule and a busy time of the year to sit down and talk to us about his thoughts on wine, holiday wine, champagne, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, thank you, Aldo, and we wish you a happy and healthy holiday. Thank you for having me, and for Sam and for the Grave Nation, we do almost anything. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> happy Hopefully holidays. I'll see you next year. Bye. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. Leave a review if you like the podcast, and please subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at sbenruby and on Twitter, x, at benruby. Um, you could find us on both using the hashtag The Grape Nation. We are on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Um, I want to thank our guests, Jonelle Falner. Katja Sharnagel and Aldo Som. Thank you to our engineer Armin and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.